Yes. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, we're gonna get we're gonna get started this morning. Um this this teaching this morning, um, and tell me if this mic doesn't work on this zipper, sometimes that gives trouble. Um this teaching this morning is a um it's a corrective message. It's it it's a um it's a message, you know, that will it might stretch you a little bit. Um, it has taken me a few years, God dealing with me on these things, to get to the place where I, 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 I think I can explain what I'm wanting to get across. Uh, so, so you'll have to bear with me. But um, you can see this morning we're going to minister on mercy, grace, and faith righteousness. And here's what I want to say. Words are important. Right? We, we know words are important. Words are how we communicate. God, God believes that words are so important that He wrote them down and inspired them to be wrote down in a book for us. Um, the problem, however, is how many know that uh, we all have our own vocabulary? We, and so if words are important, definitions are important. And what you think when you hear a word is important. Um, Jeremiah and I was recently speaking with another pastor. We were scheduling a conference, and um, we were debating, you know, not debating, but we were tossing around ideas on what to call the conference, and Jeremiah and I kept throwing out words, you know, the titles that included grace. And this pastor spoke up, and he said, Listen, I I can't use the word grace in the title. And it's not that he was wanting to say, Oh, we don't preach that. It's It's nothing like that. He was like, when people in my area hear grace, they don't think what you think. You know, they, they don't hear what you and I hear. Um, and and that's, that's very important because how many of us know that when we came to an understanding of the new covenant and the gospel, a lot of us, we came out of, you know, a lot of us weren't birthed into this. I know there was a few of us that were. My wife's when she was birthed into the gospel of grace. But... Um, when I came to understand the gospel, I already had an understanding and a definition of what grace is. I had an understanding of righteousness. I had an understanding of, of mercy. Um, but what I have found, and God's been dealing with, dealing with me on this on the last, in the last few years, is my definitions have been wrong. Um, and... and, and when I bring something like this out this morning, because that's primarily what I'm going to teach, um, it's not to win an argument. It's not to be a stickler and say, now that's not what that is, Felicia. That's not what that word is. It's not that. But I feel like, here, here's what I feel like. I feel like this, this, this lifestyle, this kingdom lifestyle, is like you've got all these puzzle pieces on a table. They're scattered. Uh, the puzzle pieces is the information. We've got the right information. But how many knows when you're sitting there and you're trying to get pieces to fit and you don't know where goes what or what goes where, um, it's frustrating. And I have found that a lot of Christians are frustrated because they know they've got the truth, but they don't know where it fits. They don't know where it goes. Um, and much trouble in communication comes from 
a, a, you and I having different definitions of the same word. Have you ever done that? You're, you're talking to somebody and you get frustrated over something they say. You get offended over something they say, but when you begin to clarify with one another, you understand that what you thought they meant is not what they meant. Okay? And, and because, so what I'm saying is, with a correct definition, you really understand someone's heart. If you don't understand the definition of the words they're using, you really have a tendency to uh, misunderstand their heart. And I feel like we've truly misunderstood God's heart with these words, uh, mercy, grace, and faith, and righteousness. Um, you know, th this is important to me. W once I was talking with someone, and this person was, you know, a, a good friend, and I was talking to them, you know, about this, this theological word. I was like, well, you know, there's this camp that says it's this, there's this camp that says it's that. And I was like explaining my rationing, you know, my, for, for believing it means what I said it means. And this person didn't even look up. They just stopped and said, you're just getting into semantics. That's not even important. And for a long time, that bothered me. And it was because it was kind of like a like your hand just got slapped, you know. Uh, but I found that this actually is very important. Now, there are certain words, semantics. They're absolutely we we don't argue over every single word. We're not sticklers over that. But I want if it's going to make our life better, if it's going to provide more peace in my home, make it easier for my body to experience health and peace in my emotions, and then I want to know the correct definition of these words. Right? The New Testament has a word for this. It is called understanding. Um, the word understanding in the Greek, listen to this, it means to set, bring, or put together, to join facts or ideas into a comprehensive whole. All right? So um, what definitions will help you do is, all right, you've got grace, You've got faith, you've got righteousness, you've got mercy. You know these things are there, but until you get the definitions right, you don't know what goes where. And you, you, you experience a lot of frustration. You might not realize that's why you're frustrated, but I think this morning as I, as I bring these things out, you're going to realize that getting this understanding will help you. All right. Um, there are three words we see a lot, especially in Proverbs. Knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Now, knowledge is having the correct information, truth, or facts. Understanding is uh, knowing how those truth and facts and that information connects together. And then wisdom is knowing what to do with what you now know. Um, and like I said, so this morning we're, we're, we're going to look at understanding. Let's go to Matthew chapter 13 and verse 18. This might not seem like a big deal, but Jesus brought out the danger of not understanding. And when I say danger, I don't mean your, your soul's on the line. I just mean, well, let's see here. So Jesus gave the parable of the sower, which he said was his most important teaching. Um, Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. Verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, look here, and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. 
This is he who receives seed by the wayside. So Jesus begins this teaching by saying, listen, there, 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 there's a certain type of, of people who they hear the word, but because they don't understand it, because they can't put the pieces together, then what happens is the enemy comes and snatches that word out of their heart. That word snatches away is the word in the Greek harpazo. Does anyone know what that means? It's where we get our word rapture. All right? So, it, so think about this. It's like, God, you get the seed in your heart, but because you don't understand it, because you don't see its application in your life, because you don't truly understand what it means, the enemy comes and literally raptures it out of your heart. One minute it's there, the next minute it's not. Um, so Jesus, so, and listen, Jeremiah and I was having this conversation the other day. Let me say this. We are impressed, especially here in America, we are impressed with what we consider deep teaching. If it sounds deep, we're head over heels with it. We don't, you know, like I've had people come to me, and I used to be, uh, I used to think it was a compliment, but when people come to me and say, that's deep, you're deep. Here's what I got thinking, that's not good. Because you know what people mean when they say you're not deep, or you're deep? They're saying, I don't understand a word you just said, but it sounded really good. <laughs> sounded good. Don't understand it, but sounded good. I, will, I get more benefit when people come to me and like, I've never seen that before. Now it makes sense. Now I know what to do. Um, you should not have to listen to 24 hours of a minister's teaching in order to understand his or her vocabulary so you can understand one sentence of what they're saying. Teaching should be simple. If I can't simplify, and I know this morning it sounds like I'm, 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 I'm being deep, but I promise you this is going to get real simple. Um, I, I, we should teach. I believe that the goal of a teacher, of a minister, should be to minister so simple that my eight-year-old can understand it. And if he can't understand it, it's not time for me to teach it. Jesus came. You know why Jesus taught in parables? It was so people could understand it. He gave them a picture that they could that all of a sudden the light would go on. Now I see. Now I understand. All right. So um, let's go to Proverbs chapter two and verse one. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, let's keep going off. I'll stop when I'm ready. So that you may incline your ear to wisdom. Now look here. And apply your heart to understanding. Understanding is very important for your heart. All right, verse 3. Yes, if you cry out for discernment if you and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Verse 6, For the Lord gives wisdom, from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. There you see those three words that I mentioned. Verse 7, He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. Verse 8, He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of His saints. 
then you will understand righteousness and justice. Do you know a lot of people, a lot of our problems in the world today is because people don't understand righteousness and justice? A lot of our, uh, especially in our nation, a lot of the problems is because people don't understand righteousness and justice. Equity in every good path. Verse 10, when wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you. This is why I hear this last phrase here. Understanding will keep you. Um, now, I know one of my calls to the body of Christ is to be able to answer people's questions. And I know that's what God has called me to do because I've seen over and over people that when they have a question and they can't get it answered, if they get too frustrated with it, they'll just forsake the faith. I'm going to say something, and this is, this is true. Some of the greatest ministers I have ever known that I met in this church are now atheists. And, and sometimes it's because they had a question, they couldn't get it answered, so it caused them to just throw the whole book out. What was that? It was a lack of understanding. Because they couldn't understand it, they threw it out. Right? But... Proverbs here, Solomon speaking, he says, understanding will keep you. And here's the thing, when, when, I, when I really get to the root of it, and I say, well, what did frustrate them about the question? Why couldn't they get that question answered? It seems simple to me. Most of the time it's because they have a wrong definition of a word. Um, so when it comes to the New Covenant, though, you know, it's imperative that we learn the vocabulary of the New Covenant. Let me say this. It's not only important that you be able to divide the word of truth, right? 2 Timothy 2.15, divide the word of truth, rightly divide the word of truth. You not only need to be able to rightly divide the word, you, you need to be able to rightly define the word. If you're not rightly defining the word, I promise you your division's a little off. Um, but when it comes to the new covenant, I found four words where we really find misunderstanding. Mercy, grace, faith, and righteousness. All right? Mercy, grace, faith, and righteousness. And even though we teach on these words a lot, what I found is we get them confused. Um, so let, let, let's dive into these words, okay? Uh, I'm going to read you a definition. Now listen, focus on what I'm saying. Listen to this definition. The nature and character of God that delights in forgiveness and loving kindness and is averse from judgment, wrath, and punishment. Now listen to this. Overlooking an insult, love that covers a multitude of sins, when you administer love and forgiveness instead of what the person deserves for their actions. What do you think that is? Mercy. But most people would say this is grace. But that's not grace. That's mercy. Um, I'm going to make a bold statement. A lot, what we call the grace movement and the grace revolution should actually be called the mercy movement and the mercy revolution. 
A lot of ministers who go around and say, I'm a grace minister, are actually ignorant of the thing that they claim to be teaching. Understand the covenant? Yes. Understand salvation? Yes. Understand mercy? Yes. But they're calling mercy grace. And grace and mercy, even though they interlock, that's part of understanding, they're not the same thing. Um, that's not good, Tim. <laughs> I should have known Tim would go there. Uh, so, here's something I don't want to do. You know, I don't carry the label of grace ministry anymore. Because what I found is when people begin to label themselves, they begin to ignore all the other stuff. Um... So, um, you know, like we've seen this with the Word of Faith movement. Praise God for the Word of Faith movement. Man, those guys have, have had a huge impact on my life. But what I found is every Word of Faith minister that I know, um, they have one focus. What is it? Faith. I can hear you for six months. I know every message you've got. I'm not being rude. That's just I don't want to be that because that's not what I see in the New Testament. I don't see just this camping out on grace, this camping out on faith, this camping out. I don't see that. Um, and Paul, with tears, he said to the Ephesians, I have not ceased to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Right? Um, he said, I'm commending you to the grace of God, but I've made sure that I minister you to you the whole counsel. Right? Um, so here's the word, the word mercy... In the Greek, it means compassion, but here, here's what mercy ultimately is. It's God's loyalty to His covenant. All right? It's His faithfulness to His covenant. Um, and this is the way we preach grace, all right? God saves you by your faith in Jesus, and when you mess up, it's okay because of grace. God's still going to be good to you. God's still going to take care of you because of Jesus. Those things are true, but that's not because of grace. It's because of mercy. Mercy, mercy means that God is going to treat you well because of your connection to Jesus. Mercy means that God's going to be faithful to you even when you're not faithful to Him because of Jesus. Jesus is the new covenant. Here's another one. I'm careful to say it, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. We're this far in, and Tim already said I'm being deep. <laughs> Jesus is not grace. The Bible, and we're going to read it in a little bit, the Bible said Jesus brought grace. He was full of grace. But Jesus wasn't grace. I read where Jesus brought grace, but I don't ever read where Jesus brought or, or where Jesus brought mercy. Why? Because he was mercy. He is mercy. Um, mercy is one of the character, the, the, the traits, the characteristics of God, even revealed in the Old Testament. There's a word, if you depending on your translation, but over and over, if you have a King James or New King James, it'll use the word over and over and over. It's much more in the Old Testament than the New, the word mercy. In the Hebrew, it's the word hased. 
it means nothing to us here in the United States. But hesed meant everything to the children of Israel. It meant everything to the Hebrews. What was hesed? It meant, I have a covenant with God, and he will keep his covenant. So when David said, you know, when everybody was chickening out over the giant, and David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? In his heart was hesed. Uncircumcised, he was saying, this guy doesn't have a covenant with God. I do. So why would I be afraid of him? All right? So, so, so mercy, when it comes to the mercy of God, thank God for mercy because it's how you know God is going to be good to you. It's how you know that even when you mess up, He's not going to pour wrath out on you. He's not, not going to give you a sickness. He's not going to cause you to be in an accident. Why? Because mercy is who He is. He is merciful, right? Um, and we would talk about this when we talk about God is faithful to His Word. This book, the Hebrews called the Old Testament, they called their scriptures the book of the covenant. It would do us well to call this book the book of the covenant because that's still what it is. And when you call it covenant, here's what you know. God will always keep His Word. He will always keep His covenant. So let's get into grace. And this is the one that we, we, we have trouble dealing with, right? Um, the word grace, when you look it up in, in, a, in Greek dictionaries, uh, the best definition I can find is a divine influence upon the heart um, and its reflection in the life. Now, the definition that we tend to give for grace is unmerited favor. I shared last week during the offering, that definition isn't wrong. It's not inaccurate, but it is incomplete. Um, I like to study these words in the original language. I have not found one Greek dictionary, one Greek scholar that would define charis, which is that Greek word, as unmerited favor. The closest I have come to it is the Amplified Classic Bible, when it says grace, we'll put in parentheses, unmerited favor. That's the closest I can come to finding that as the definition. Again, it's not wrong, it's just incomplete. All right? Um, unmerited favor just tells me that it's free. That whatever it is, you don't have to earn it, you don't have to deserve it. You don't have to work for it. It's free. It's yours. It's available for you. All right? So, so but divine influence upon the heart, um, when I hear that, divine, I think God, influence, I think power, right? So grace is God's power working in your heart and its reflection in the life. So it's God's power working in your heart and its influence being released into your life. Um, I want you to think, but I like the word influence. I want you to think about this. If you want to understand grace, understand what I'm saying. Grace means to be under the influence. All right? Now think about that. There's probably some of you in here, you've been under the influence, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
Um, so think about what it means when we say someone was arrested for being under the influence. It means they were doing something that they normally would not have done had it, that influence not been inside of them. That influence on the inside of them caused them to do, say, and act in ways that they normally wouldn't without that influence. How many of us have said that, you know, if you've known somebody that maybe is, is an alcoholic or a drug addict, you, you know that when they're not under that influence, they're nothing like that. An influence on the inside of you can cause you to do stuff, can just act, cause you to just be who you normally aren't, right? So grace is God's influence in us, all right? Um, other words that we would use for influence is ability or power. Grace is God's ability and power. Um, here's what I wrote down. I put, grace is an ability or power that works in the heart of a believer and causes them to do things they couldn't do in their own strength. Being under grace, listen what it means. Being under grace does not mean you're under the new covenant. Bold statement number two. You can be under the new covenant and not under grace. Not every believer is under grace. And that's amazing to say because for eight years now, we've been preaching, I'm speaking to myself, we've, I've been preaching from this pulpit, we're under grace, we're under grace, we're under grace. Here's what I'm finding. Biblically, not every believer is under grace. It's available. They're under the new covenant. They're saved, born again, die right now, heaven ready, Jesus comes back, you're going but it doesn't mean you're living under grace. because So when you read the word grace, think influence. I'm under the influence. So I put being under grace is being under the influence of God's ability. See, this is the major difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. We say law and grace. All right, That's correct. Under the law... It was your ability to keep the commandments. God said, here's my commandments, but they couldn't be regenerated. They, 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 they weren't born again. All right? So it was up to them to keep it. And what do we see? The ones that we honor so much in the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, over and over and over again, they failed and failed and failed. Why? because it was their own ability they were having to depend on. But then under the new covenant, we don't have to depend on our ability. We can depend on God's ability in us. See, in the old covenant, when the Spirit would come and rest upon them, they were under the influence momentarily. But now we have the ability to tap into that influence at any time, because it's in us, right? Um, look at 2 Corinthians 12, 7, and 9, 7 through 9. So listen, a lot of words, I can give you the Greek definition, but you know the best thing to do is sometimes just see what the Bible calls it. Here's Paul. He's talking about his, uh, the thorn in the flesh. I don't have time to go into all that. Uh, we've done a lot of teaching on that here. This wasn't sickness. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious that Paul was dealing with either a demonic force or he could have been talking about just the people that was 
uh, coming against and preaching the gospel. But anyways, that's not why we're here. So he's, he's talking about that, and he says, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. And here it is, he plainly tells you what the thorn was, a messenger of Satan to buffet me or attack me, lest I be exalted above measure. God doesn't have a problem with you being exalted. That's how we know that's not, it's not God that brought this, it was the enemy. Verse 8, Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Let's see what the Lord said to him in response. Verse 9, He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My what? Grace. So, but, okay, think about it this way. All right, let's, let's talk about unmerited favor. Let's say unmerited favor is the definition of grace. Just put it here and see if it makes sense. And he said to me, my unmerited favor is sufficient for you. Paul's like, listen, I don't care if I got favor, there's a demon aggravating the snot out of me. But God tells him what his grace is. My grace is sufficient for you. For my what? Strength is made perfect in weakness. So God's grace is God's strength. It's God's ability. It's God's power working in you. Um, Let's go to Romans 6.14. So I made the statement that you can be a believer, and still not be under grace. Let me, let me show you that. Romans 6, verse 14. We quote this a lot. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Now here is the way I think that this is taught from, for the most part. I hear people saying, well, listen, if you'll just hear grace teaching, If you'll just get a hold of the revelation of grace, that God loves you no matter what, He cares about you no matter what, He's good to you no matter what, you won't sin. Let me ask you in here, if you're being honest, does anyone know someone that's been been hearing the teaching of grace and still living in sin? Jeremiah and I was talking the other day. I said, I stopped a few years ago saying, well, you know, when I preach grace, I'm not saying this, I'm not saying that. Or, or what I quit saying was, because what we say is, now listen, I'm preaching grace. People that preach grace, they're not saying this. They're not saying that. But you know what I found out? People that preach grace are saying those things. Not everybody, but there's a few, right? People say, oh, people who preach grace, they're not preaching you can go live in sin. I've got a newsflash for you. You must not have the same connections I do because I know grace people that do say that. Um. So, but Romans 6, 14, so let me ask you, do you know any believer who understands the grace of God but still living in sin? I do. Now, not when I say living in sin, I mean I know people who have made mistakes, who have failed, who have done things that they normally wouldn't do. See, but it says here, for sin shall not have done... It was put to me one time, and I love this example. When you find yourself in sin, it's like, it's like when you run a fever. The fever is not the problem. The fever is a warning there is a problem. But we'll sit there and we'll treat the fever, right? But um, how many knows the fever is actually your body trying to destroy whatever the actual problem is? Um, 
So when we find ourselves in sin, it's like a fever. And that fever is saying, hey, 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 hey. You're not under grace. You're not living under the influence of grace. When it says law, for you are not under the law, what I just say, law, it was about your ability, your strength, your power. So when, when you find yourself in sin or giving into temptation, that's a fever that's letting you know you're living according to your own ability. You're living according to your own strength. Because if you are living under the influence of God, under God's strength, then sin wouldn't have dominion over you. And what I've heard people say is that this used to be my concern if I, de- if I defined grace as God's ability or strength, and I've had people come in and they say, well, people who do that, they'll get into legalism. Not if you understand mercy, you won't. See, mercy, mercy will keep you from living in condemnation. Because even when I mess up, even when I sin, I don't have to question my salvation. I don't have to worry about God getting me. I don't have to worry about that. Why? Because He's merciful. He's loyal to His covenant. My sins and my iniquities, He will remember no more. He's already provided the forgiveness. Right? So mercy will keep you from living in condemnation. But grace will keep you from living in sin. Let's go to Luke chapter 2 and verse 51. So let me say this. Grace isn't an excuse. It's an empowerment. I have, I've counseled people. I've dealt with people. Um, I've been that person. Um, you, you give in to a temptation. You, you fall. You make the mistake. Well, I'm under grace. No, if you were under grace, you wouldn't have went there in the first place. And that's, that's tough, I know. But remember, there's mercy. And, it, and, and again, it's not, we're not dangling your salvation before you because grace is not a license to sin, right? We know that. Grace is not a license to sin. I know this sounds corny, but listen. Grace is a license to win. Yes, and give me commission. Uh, um, grace does not accept being defeated over and over and over and over. Grace overcomes over and over and over. Right? Um, let's look at Luke 2, 51, 52. And I also wrote this. I put mercy is how God treats you because of Jesus. Grace is what God does in you because of Jesus. All right? Look at Luke 2, 51, 52. Then he went down with them. So this is Jesus when he was 11, 12 years old. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them, but his mother kept all these things in her heart. Verse 52. And Now notice, Jesus, Connie talked about it this morning, the God-man, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor. That word favor is the Greek word charis that we would translate grace. So let's read it this way. And Jesus increased in the wisdom and stature and in grace with God and men. All right. 
I don't like the definition of favor here. I mean, it fits. I'm not completely opposed to it. But let's think about this. He, he, God increased in favor with himself. God done himself some favors. <laughs> but if we look at it this way, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in the influence, strength, and ability of, with God, he grew in it. And Here's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to do primarily two things. I mean, I'm not talking about save the world. I know he came to save the world. I'm talking about in his humanity, in his, his ministry. He came to do two things. He came to reveal to us the true character and nature of God. This is what God looks like. This is how God would respond to these situations. The second thing he came to reveal to us is what a man full of the Holy Spirit in union with God and living under the influence of grace can do. Jesus is not only your sacrifice, he's also your example. And everything Jesus did, he did it as a man baptized with the Holy Spirit, filled with the grace of God. That's powerful. And um, so if grace is just God treating you right, and loving you, and being nice to you, Explain this. It, 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 it just doesn't fit. Why would God in the flesh need to grow in that? If grace is just a, okay, you sinned, but it's okay, you're under grace, Jesus didn't need that. He never sinned. So if that's what grace is, just an overlooking of sin, Jesus had no need for grace. Now, other places in the epistles, they tell you that you can grow in grace. And then, in another place, James says, he says, there's more grace. So this is something you can grow in. I can't grow in God treating me good. It's just who He is. It's what He does. I can bank on it every single day. God's going to be good to me today. No matter what I've done, He's going to be good to me today. But I can grow in yielding to his ability, yielding to his strength, allowing my heart to be influenced by him. Just like every alcoholic, every drug addict began with just doing it one time, you can grow in grace by just yielding one time, yielding more and more and more. And as you do, it becomes easier and easier and easier. Why? Because you grow in. All right, um, John one. Uh, we're not going to go there. It's okay. I think I've already explained that. Um, so we've we focused on grace and mercy. Did I make that clear? Do you guys see that? That the difference between grace and mercy. Um, I I, th I think it's important because grace is not just a teaching. It, it should not just be something like, well, you know, yeah, over there they preach grace, and yeah, you know, I I, I love. It shouldn't be that. Grace should be a way you live. Um, but I want to look at, now let's focus on faith and righteousness. Um, so I've made all the grace people mad. Now I'm going to make all the faith people mad. Um, yeah, 
There you go. Just get them both in one message. Um, we've reduced faith down to our ability to believe what God says is true. Again, with charis or grace being unmerited favor, it's not that that's inaccurate, it's just not complete. All right? Um, the word faith simply means persuasion. I'm persuaded that that is true. All right? Pers- but here's the question you should do. You should do this when you read stuff like that. Persuaded of what? Persuaded of what? Let me throw this at you. I heard a few years ago, uh, you guys know, you've heard me say, you know, um, the two men that have had the most impact on my life as far as ministers, big names, is Andrew Womack and, and Dr. Jim Richards. And a few years ago, you know, five or six years ago, maybe longer, I heard Jim Richards make this point, and I hated it. Like, it made me mad that he would suggest such a thing. But he said, in the New Testament, when you see the word faith, it is never talking about faith for stuff. It's never talking about faith for the job. It's never talking about faith for the car. It's never talking about faith for the house. Never talking about faith for your health. When he said that, that made me so mad. Because I love to preach faith. I love to preach it. Listen, take the limits off God. Believe God for the best. And I still believe that. Right? But he's telling the truth. He didn't say this. In the New Testament, a great majority of the time where it talks about faith, it is referring to faith that believes I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. In the New Testament, you cannot disconnect faith from righteousness. They go hand in hand. Um, There is a phrase, so sometimes in the New Testament, you'll read the word just faith, just alone. Then there are times in the New Testament, you'll see the faith. And we will use verses like that talk about the faith like it's talking about believing God for the house, believing God for the card. Again, not against that stuff. But the faith is something specific, right? Brian and I can be believing God for two different circumstances, two different situations. Brian might have, be having faith for a car. I might be having faith for, for a health problem, right? That's okay. But... How many knows that differs? Everybody in here is probably believing God for something different, right? But the one thing we all have in common is the faith. The faith is something specific you're putting your faith in. See, just like I said, Brian can be persuaded that God's going to provide the car. I can be, per- be persuaded that God is the healer. But we all in here this morning have to be persuaded that Jesus died, was buried, resurrected. And that because of that, and our faith in Him, we are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Um, we call this, this is what, faith righteousness. Any of you who's had me on Facebook, you, you've probably seen over the last few weeks, I've been hammering home faith righteousness. Um, so the words faith and righteousness, they go together. Let's go to Romans chapter 1, verse 15. I want to point something out um, about these verses because we quote these a lot. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. 
for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Gentile or Greek. Now listen, if I asked yesterday, if I came in here and said, guys, what is the revelation that makes the gospel so powerful? What is the revelation that makes the gospel so effective? Most of us would say grace. It's a revelation of grace that makes the gospel effective. It's the revelation of grace that makes the gospel powerful in your life. That's not what Paul says. He tells us what makes the gospel powerful. Verse 17. So he just said the gospel is powerful for in it. He's about to tell you what makes the gospel so powerful. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So the revelation that makes the gospel come alive to you isn't you're under grace. The the revelation that makes the gospel come alive to you is you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You didn't have to earn it. You didn't have to work for it. It's who you are because you've placed your faith in Jesus. That's what makes the gospel powerful. And when you believe that, you put yourself under grace. When you believe I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, no matter my performance, no matter my church attendance, no matter my obedience, when you put your, when you are persuaded of that, convinced of that, grace begins to work in your heart. It's and so, what do I mean, faith righteousness? Under the, you can check it out in Deuteronomy six. Under the law, under the old covenant, righteousness was about keeping the commandments. It was about what you did. But under the new covenant, it's not about what you do. It's about who you believe. It's about who you trust. It's about what you believe. What are you supposed to believe? Jesus made me righteous. Um, and notice, it's this revelation, he says, is the power of God unto salvation. That's soteria, deliverance, safety, welfare, health, prosperity, preservation, and rescue. So if you find yourself frustrated, why isn't this working? You need a revelation of righteousness. You need, let me say this, you need a revelation of faith righteousness. All right? Um, what is righteousness? Listen to this. When I, I, in the past, I have preached grace, I mean, uh, righteousness as being made right with God. That's true, all right? Again, it's not inaccurate. It's just incomplete. What is righteousness? You can find this in any Greek lexicon. Righteousness is the judicial approval of God. It is that which God deems right after His close examination, or in other words, that which is approved in His eyes. So when you say, I'm righteous, you're saying God has examined me, and He approves what He sees. Right? Um, Now, here's my favorite definition of the word righteous. This is my favorite definition. As it ought to be or as it should be. So we could say mercy is how God treats you. Grace is how God empowers you. 
And righteousness is how God sees you. All right? Um, Now, let me say this. When I talk about righteousness, I'm primarily talking about how God sees you. Right? But it is much more than that. Um, Righteousness doesn't... It begins with how He sees you. But it expands into how He sees everything. Remember when I said a lot of the problems in our country are because we don't understand what righteousness means? Um, You need the revelation how God sees you. He sees you in Christ. He sees you perfect, whole, nothing lacking, nothing broken, nothing missing. But you also, to live this victorious life, to 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 reign in life, you need this revelation of how God sees everything. It begins with how God sees me. But then the walk with Jesus is this. How does God... Remember, as it ought to be. My emotions, is this righteous or unrighteous? How should my emotions be? I promise you, your emotions, God's will for you is not your emotions to be like this. If your emotions are like this, your emotions are unrighteous. Doesn't mean you're unrighteous, but your emotions right now are unrighteous. If this morning, if you're struggling with sickness, in God's eyes, that's unrighteous. Doesn't mean you're unrighteous. So what am I saying? That's, living in sickness is not how it ought to be. How do I know that? God didn't create us sick. I'm talking about in the beginning. God didn't make us sick. Right? If you want to know what God's will is, there's two places you can look. Go back to the garden, look forward to, to the new Jerusalem. No sickness. Right? Um, so so this, this life that I live, this life of, of grace, it's my relationship with God as it should be. It's my emotions as they should be. My body as it should be. My family as it should be. My home as it should be. Righteousness is a continuum. It begins with my relationship with God. But you know binding and loosing? You know binding and loosing has nothing to do with you rebuking and resisting every devil from hell. Binding, do you know the word binding and loosing? Those are legal terms. And what it means is you take inventory of your life and you say, okay, based on what Jesus did, that's illegal. That's unrighteous. So you bind, say it's sickness, you bind that sickness and you loose healing and health. Why? Because that is what is legal based on the finished work of Jesus. Let's go to uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 30. Um, I want to show you something else that I, I think this. And let me say this. We're not called to preach grace. We're called to live under grace. We're actually called to preach righteousness. Uh, Paul said we have this ministry of righteousness. Um, what did Jesus do? Think about his ministry. What does that look like? It doesn't. Jesus didn't go around and say, "Listen, you're right with God. You're right with God. You're right with God. You're right with God. You're right with God." It's much more than that. Give you an example. Remember in Luke 18, Jesus comes up to the woman and it says she's bowled over, and she's been that way. What was it? 18 years, I believe it says, right? And Jesus heals her, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees are ticked. Um, and listen what Jesus says. 
Ought not this daughter of Abraham be loosed from this infirmity? He doesn't use the word righteousness, but ought not this daughter of Abraham, a covenant child, isn't it her right to be healthy? That's what we're called to do. We are called to minister righteousness going around and saying, anxiety, that's unrighteous. I don't accept it. Sickness, that's unrighteous. I don't accept it. Uh, uh, I mean, fill in the blank. Problems of any sort, that's unrighteous. I don't accept it. All right? Um, Romans 9, verse 33. What shall we say then that Gentiles... uh, Oh, right here, it's fine. Behold, I land down a stumbling stone. I want to point this out. Uh, A stumbling stone and rock of offense. I, I used to always say... Well, you know, Jesus is that stumbling stone. There's gospel songs about Jesus is the stumbling stone. Jesus is not the stumbling stone. He's not what people are tripping over. You can talk about Jesus all day long and most people won't get mad. Now go back to to verse 30. Let's get some context and let's see what the stumbling stone is. What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith or faith righteousness. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Verse 2, why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. What's the stumbling? What is that stumbling stone? Not Jesus. The Gnostics preach Jesus. The Judaizers preached Jesus. They preached Jesus and said, and now you've got to be circumcised. They didn't have a problem with Jesus. But what did they have a problem with? That stumbling stone. What's that stumbling stone? You're righteous by faith. Faith, righteousness is that I do not get persecuted for preaching grace. I don't get persecuted for preaching mercy. I do get persecuted for preaching Jesus is your righteousness. I was ministering at a church one time, and I was ministering on the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. I had three things I was going to bring out. I can't remember what they were. But the first one was righteousness, and I specifically and intentionally ordered the, the way I brought these things out to, to offend them the least. Right? I began with what I thought was the least offensive and went and worked my way to the most offensive. So righteousness, I thought, there's so much Scripture. Who could, could deny that under the New Testament, Jesus is my righteousness and it's not about my performance? While I was preaching that, I noticed a bunch of people got out and walked out. And I thought it was a big church, so I thought, you know, hey, I, if you guys, when you guys get up and leave, I don't think you're offended. I normally thought, what, what would you think? you got somewhere to be. I understand. I get it. Thank God for you know the time you was able to come. I get it. Well, then later that night, somebody sends me a screenshot. These people are blasting me on Facebook and saying I'm just using the Bible and twisting it and turning it for my own self-gain. Right? It's, the right, the, it's faith righteousness that causes people to stumble. Jesus said you'd be persecuted for what? Righteousness' sake. Right? You're not persecuted going around saying you need to get right with God. You need to get right with God. You shouldn't did that. You need to do this. I mean, there's a place for correction. But, but what, listen, 
we've got this weird thing, especially people who came out of legalism. We enjoy when people smack us around a little bit for whatever reason. When I Listen, when I used to go around before I understood the gospel and I went around and I preached on people doing this and that and, man, just hit people hard, I never got persecuted. I got more pat on the, pats on the back. People loved it. But when I began preaching Jesus is your righteousness, that's when I began to experience persecution. Right? Um, now let's go to Romans chapter 10. We're, 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 we're almost finished. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. All right, I want to... Okay, let me give you... We're going to do... Now, let me read this. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness... Now, what is God's righteousness? It's faith righteousness. And seeking to establish their own righteousness or self-righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. So notice, righteousness is not something you have to earn. It's something you have to submit yourself to. For Christ is the end of the law. Now listen, I talked to you about some things I have a problem that grace people say. One of the things I have a problem that grace people say is Christ is the end of the law, period. That's not what the Bible says. There's still value in the law. The law can't make you right with God, but listen... When the Bible says by law, by the law is the knowledge of sin, God's not changed what's right and wrong in the last 6,000 years. God still, everything he said there was wrong, it's still wrong. But it doesn't change your standing with him. Thank God for grace, he'll empower you to keep it. He's the end of the law for what? For righteousness. When Jesus said, it is finished, and I've I preached on this last year around Easter time. He wasn't talking about redemption. He wasn't talking about forgiveness. How do I know that? Because Paul said if Jesus was not raised from the dead, you're still in your sins. That tells me that the sin issue wasn't necessarily fully dealt with on the cross. The sin issue was dealt with when he was in the grave. It's another subject for another day. I preached on it. What was dealt with on the cross? What was dealt with on the cross was the law. The law was fulfilled on the cross. Now, don't misunderstand me. Yes, if you're a believer in Christ, you've been forgiven of all your sins, but I'm saying the resurrection is what provided the forgiveness. The cross fulfilled the law for righteousness. All right, verse 5. I didn't mean to get on that. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. Verse 6. But the righteousness of faith speaks. Listen, if you want to know how do I get established in in faith righteousness, you need to speak it. I mean, seriously. If you're hearing this and you think, like, like, like if you're struggling with temptation, if you're struggling with sickness, if you're struggling with things, listen, you need to look yourself in the mirror and say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Since God's been dealing with me on this, I bet, you know, if God could get tired of hearing something, he'd be tired of hearing me say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, verse 7, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead, uh, verse 8. But what does it say? This is why I'm here. The, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Any of you that came out a word of faith, you know this verse. And here it is. Paul was a word of faith preacher context that's actually i know it's what he says 
But context, that's not exactly what he's saying. He's not saying we go around and saying Mark eleven twenty three, Mark eleven twenty three, Mark eleven twenty three, Mark eleven twenty three. Speak to the mountain. Speak to the mountain. That's not what Paul is speaking in context. What's the context? Righteousness. Let me give you a homework assignment. We're going to do a little bit of it as we close. Anywhere in the New Testament, especially Romans and beyond, but it, it works before that some. Now, it won't work everywhere, but I'm telling you, 98% of the time it will work. Anytime you see the word faith, after it, put the word righteousness. Anytime you see the word righteousness, in front of it, put the word faith. I guarantee you, verses will begin to make more sense. Let's do that here. Pull that back up, please. Romans 10, verse 8. Um, let's do that here. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith. Let's do the homework. That is the word of faith, righteousness, which we preach. Now that makes more sense. Because I don't see Paul ever going around quoting Mark eleven twenty three. 23. I believe wholeheartedly in Mark eleven twenty three. But Paul was saying, listen, I've got a message, and that message is you can be made righteous with God by faith. It's the word of faith, righteousness. Now let me say this too. We have made faith about your ability to just believe the promises of God. It's more than that. Because I know plenty... I, listen, there's plenty... I've been in the situation... I'm going to talk about myself. I've been in a situation where I know God has provided that. I know the promise is true. And I've believed it with everything in me, yet I was frustrated because I couldn't get it to work in my life. But I know I believe it. How many of you have heard, well, you know, sister and brother so-and-so believed all that healing stuff and they still died. And they were convinced that God healed them. Faith is about much more than I just believe the promise is true. Faith is I believe every promise of God is true and that I am qualified to receive and experience it in my life because of the finished work of Jesus. Faith is about much more than I believe it's true. Faith is I also believe I'm qualified to experience that in my life. Because you will find, you know, we talk about that, people that have died from sickness. I, I'm going to tell you something I see over and over. My son, Graham, he's like, you know, like he's finally awakening to, you know, oh, wait, people die, you know, like even though his brother died a few years ago and stuff, it's like, it's something he's been asking me a lot of questions about. And one day I was explaining to him, you know, Bob, I've been with a lot of people when they die. As a minister, this is my, this will be my 16th year of ministry. I've been with a lot of people as they cross over. And I can tell you, thank God for the experiences, and they happen a lot where people are kind of halfway here and halfway there, and, you know, they're interacting with the spiritual world. But the next observation I've made is so many people lay on their deathbed struggling with guilt and condemnation. So many. And I think there's our answer for a lot of the questions we have. What about this? Now, I'm not saying not everybody. Listen, there, there's a lot, of, a lot that goes into that. Listen. When, you have, when you've got a hotel reservation, you're staying in a hotel, the hotel doesn't get mad at you when you check out early. So we're not condemning anybody that died young or anything. Listen, I ain't mad at them. I don't blame them for checking out early. All right? Um, 
I just think it's important. Oh, God didn't take them, and there's things that goes on in our hearts and things like that. But we, we just, faith is about more than I believe it's true. Faith is I believe I'm qualified to experience it. All right. Um, let, let's, so listen to this. I put this on Facebook yesterday. I want to read this to you. Ultimately, righteousness is about life as it should be. This life is only possible by faith, not just believing the promises of God are true, but believing you are qualified to receive and experience every promise of God based solely on the finished work of Jesus. So let me say this. I'm probably going to minister on this in a few weeks. I think the Lord's leading me to do that, talk more about faith and, and how the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus plays into that. Faith will always ask two questions. Did Jesus do something about this in his death, burial, and resurrection? And am I qualified to receive the benefits of what he did? All right, faith always asks those two questions. All right, as we finish, let's go ahead and do that homework. Remember what I told you. When you see faith, place righteousness after it. See righteousness, put faith before it. Let's go with Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. I want to go through these quick. I'm not going to explain everything. For by grace or God's ability, you have been saved. Now think about this. If you put for by unmerited favor, you have been saved. That doesn't make a lot of sense. But if you put for by God's ability you have been saved, that makes sense. Why? You can't save yourself. You have been saved through faith. Let's do the homework. For by God's ability you have been saved through faith righteousness. And that not of yourselves. You couldn't work it. You couldn't earn for it. You couldn't perform for it. It is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. I've heard preachers say before, they're like, listen, the grace is the gift. The faith is the gift. I struggled with that for years because I've seen people turn that into universalism where everybody's saved because it's God's faith. Right? We don't believe that. We, we believe you have to put your faith in Jesus. But when you put righteousness there and you realize grace is God's ability, then yes, it is all a gift. Because why? Righteousness is a gift. Grace is a gift. All right? Uh, let's go to Romans chapter 4. Verse 16, therefore it is of faith. Let's do the homework. Therefore it is of faith righteousness that it might be according to grace or according to God's ability. Notice, if it wasn't for faith, grace couldn't do anything. But when you believe you're righteous by faith, grace begins to flow. So that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but to those who are of the faith of Abraham. And remember, the faith of Abraham is what? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. And I'm telling you guys, seriously, I, I did it on my iPad, and I am telling you, this will change your life. Hold on, let me see here. All these verses right here is where I went in here, and I put faith, righteousness, all, in all these places. Like, look how many verses there is. I've meditated on this for months. I do, and I will. I'll send that out to the group. Um, Romans 5, verse 1 and 2. Um, oh, you're cool. I'll, I'll, I'll go there, and I'll read it real quick. You're fine. Uh, Romans 5, verse 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, do the homework. Therefore, having been justified by faith, righteousness, 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of faith teaching doesn't produce peace. It produces frustration. Because you're thinking, I'm not in faith. I'm not in faith. I'm not in faith. I don't have the faith. But it makes sense when you realize when you know you're righteous by faith, what will that do? That will produce peace in your life. If you lack peace, you lack a revelation of righteousness. Talking to myself. All right? Not picking on anybody. Been there. Done that. Got the T-shirt. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace. Through the homework. Through whom also we have access by faith righteousness into this grace. So what's he saying? You connect to God's ability when you believe that you're the righteousness of God. All right? Um, and then one more, one, more, one more verse here. Let me see what it is. Romans 5 verse 17. We all know this. And for if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more of those who receive abundance of grace. Now, if grace is just something we're all under, then why would there why why would he be telling us to receive it? Right? And to a lot of people, what they've made being under grace is, oh, well, you just need to listen to more grace teaching. We we've taken what people did with faith and we've just put a nicer bow on it. Right? But listen to this. Let's read it this way. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of God's ability. And the gift. Notice the gift isn't grace. I'm not saying grace isn't a gift. We talked about that. But the gift is righteousness. And the gift of faith righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Would you describe your life as reigning? As in the Amplified Classic says, reign, we're called to reign as kings in this life. Would you describe your life as, I'm reigning as a king? This is the answer. And it begins with believing that you are, and people, again, you might say, well, what's the point of all this? Because listen, Get the understanding. Grace isn't something you just say, oh yeah, I'm under that, I'm under that, I'm under that. No, grace is that which gives you the ability to overcome. Right? Grace is, grace is the ability of God, the power of God. And that doesn't do away with what we know about the new covenant. Uh, Ty, uh, Paul said to Titus, um, by mercy, according to his mercy he saved us, according to his covenant love, his covenant loyalty, his mercy, his said, it's forever, right? Well, again, when we get an understanding of what's mercy, what's grace, what's faith, what's righteousness, it helps us, we've got all those puzzle pieces, it helps us to be able to put the piece, pieces together, right? And what happens is where maybe an hour ago we were frustrated, we knew we had the information, we knew we had the knowledge, but now, now we've got this beautiful picture. It's called reigning in life. It's called righteousness, knowing that this is how life is supposed to be. You know, every one of us came to Jesus because we knew there was a different way life was supposed to be. Every one of us. You were going your own way, and you was like, you know what? Things are supposed to be different than this. 
Something's not quite right about this. And listen, I do that all the time in my own life with other stuff. Like, uh, uh, you know, a week or so ago, Finn was really sick. And like I would just say, it's not supposed to be this way. What happens? You take your authority. That's another thing. You cannot walk in authority until you are convinced of righteousness. Because what is righteousness? The ability to... E.W. Kenyon said righteousness is the ability to stand before God's throne without shame, guilt, condemnation, or inferiority. So when you know you're righteous, not according to what you do, but according to who you believe, you rise up in authority. That's what a king does. A king has authority. God, help me to shut up. Oh, my God. All right, guys. Has this blessed you all? Amen. All right. Uh, We're going to go ahead and we're going to take up the offering. Uh, I won't do a teaching with it or anything. But uh, if you need a giving envelope, you can raise your hand and and Tim will get that to you. Um, Man, praise God for his mercy. Praise God for his grace. Praise God for faith righteousness. Amen. Yeah, go ahead, Felicia. That way everybody can hear you. Am I on? Yeah. yeah. I heard Ryan Hart Bonke say one time, make the bread edible. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about just teach. It's simple. It, it is simple. And when you read the word and teach the word, it, it is. It's making the bread edible. That's good. And, and one thing I heard another teacher say is, a, we'll get a little piece of truth, and we run with that, and we don't yeah. have the whole truth, just yeah. what you were talking about, because yeah. we're excited. Yeah, That's But good. it's awesome. That was a great teaching. Thank you. And praise God for the teaching of grace, right? I mean, it's it's what we all call grace. I mean, like I said, we it probably is better labeled mercy, but praise God that we've got people that let us know that God isn't mad at us, like this right here says. God is not mad at you. Praise God for that. Right? It's not undoing any of that. It's just kind of, it's making it all finally work and fit together. Right? The whole counsel of God. Anyone else before we dismiss? All right. Hope. I have a quick question. Yeah. Uh, two weeks ago, I came to prepare for April. Mm-hmm. Uh, the doctors were going to do an ankle test to see what heart was sending out of April. So I had Terry. Thank you, Jesus. Right. Awesome. Amen. That's awesome. That's great. That's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let's praise Jesus for that. Amen. Who's guilty of that word?
That's awesome. That's awesome. Amen. He gets the glory. Patty? I understand what you're saying. Before I say anything, anyone got anything? Brian, do you have anything on that? No? Do you have anything about what she said?
I think we have to stay away from the thinking that some people are more predisposed to be better or have a certain gifting. We all have full access to everything for life. We've been given all things for life and godliness and knowledge. We have access to everything to empower you to live the life of the kingdom. Well,